Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hello and welcome to Better Living, a show about the people and organizations that make an impact in our area. I'm your host, Nick Carissimi. A new group and a returning guest join me on today's show. Coming up in the second half of the program, my friend Lexi OKK will stop by to talk about what Serve West Dallas is getting up to this summer. But we will start off with a new group to the show. Jim Falk is the president and CEO of the World Affairs Council of Dallas-Fort Worth. How are you doing today? Doing great. Thanks for inviting me to be with you. Absolutely. So uh, this organization, very interesting. Bringing in a lot of people, making making Dallas known to the world and hopefully making the world known to Dallas. Talk to me about what the World Affairs Council is. What do you guys do? First, let me address it really at the national level about how the World Affairs Council network was started. And it's sort of, it's interesting to think about this now as we're debating about what is United, the role of the United States in the world. Back in 1918, if you remember, the League of Nations was not ratified by the United States. Congress. And uh, there was a real view and a vision by people in New York and Washington who were part of sort of this, you know, for lack of a better word, foreign policy intelligentsia. How do we get out into America? How do we get to Main Street and, and really express the importance of the United States being engaged? And so the first World Affairs Council was founded in uh, New York City. And then very slowly but surely, the movement went north and then west. Uh, our council was created in 1951, and what I think so interesting about it is that one of the founders was a man named Neil Mallon. Neil Mallon brought Dresser Industries, one of the first multinationals to come to Texas, brought it to, brought it to Dallas, and he had been involved with the World Affairs Council in Cleveland. Another just sort of point of trivia, and then we'll get more to, to your question, is Neil Mallon is the godfather of Neil Bush, one of the children of George H.W. Bush, and it was Neil Mallon who was one of the key players who brought the Bush family to Texas. So back in 1951, when our council was established by what I like to say, the the people whose names you see on the various highways when you <laughs> when you have lots of time, you know, yes. like why am I stuck on this Simmons sure. or whatever? Um, and and you go back to the minutes and you see some people writing letters and saying, "What are you bringing this international organization to Dallas for? Are you going to bring Soviets in? You know, where where do you stand?" And uh, it really just shows how Dallas-Fort Worth has, has grown uh, both uh, economically, size, and, and philosophically because we truly are a global center. So we are one now of about 80 councils around the United States, and we are probably considered uh, number two or three behind, say, New York and, and, and San Francisco. Uh, today we have 4,200 members in the Metroplex, not just in Dallas, but Fort Worth, North Texas, uh, I uh, have lots of members up in the McKinney and Frisco area as well. And, uh, you know, you, you've said it well. I mean, our, our simple tagline is to, to connect North Texas with the world and the world with North Texas. 
when this organization started in 1951, which I, I found surprising, was the mission back then still the same? Was it similar to how you guys are doing it now? Or has the mission of this organization evolved over these many years? You know, when you look at most of the councils in the United States, what they do is they do speaker programs. And there's no doubt that we are best known for the speakers that we bring in. And I know we'll talk about that in a few minutes. But our council really has grown in a very different way, especially in the last 15 years when, when I've been president. And you know, I follow the direction of the board, and it's, it's, it's worked very well. Uh, back in 2003, um, Mayor, then Mayor Laura Miller was looking at a way to reduce cost um, in City Hall. And they were paying quite a bit of money to manage the Office of International Affairs. And uh, we came to the uh, City Hall with a proposal to privatize it, to create a public-private partnership. And so we're very involved now with the protocol office in economic development for the, for the city of Dallas. For instance, um, in just a few days, uh, Mayor Rawlings, going with the mayor of Fort Worth, Betsy Price, they're going to Canada. They're going to Toronto and Montreal on a trade mission uh, supported uh, by the airport and uh, our staff has helped support that, 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 that trip. Um, and we work very closely with the Diplomatic Corps. You know, uh, listeners may be surprised to learn that in Dallas-Fort Worth, we have 36 honorary and career consulates. And we can talk, if you wish, about what their role is. But we also work with the consulates and the Diplomatic Corps in Houston, uh, I'm frequently in Washington working with ambassadors. Uh, we have an ambassador uh, from, from Peru coming in just a few weeks. We recently hosted the ambassador of, of Tunisia. Uh, in a few days, uh, I'll be with the consul general of China who will be coming here uh, for some business meetings. So we have that whole aspect of our work. And then uh, now about 12 years ago, we recognize just how our students really were not getting current information uh, in world affairs. And, um, you know, one of the striking things is after Saddam Hussein had been overthrown, uh, our children, now this is not the case today because they finally two years ago got new textbooks. But until just two years ago, the world history books were so dated. And we, I think, filled a very important void by giving teachers the most current information conducting special workshops for them, and now doing uh, programs for students. So we have a very uh, active and important uh, young leaders program under our international education program. And then finally, we work very closely with the Department of State in bringing international visitors to Dallas-Fort Worth. Uh, just like in your business, you have a, a plan, you know, how many programs you're going to do, what are the subjects? Well, our embassies work the same way. And so one of the tools that they have in public diplomacy is to select emerging leaders in the country where they're located and bring them to the United States to meet with their counterparts. And we set up those meetings. So we recently had a group here uh, learning and meeting at the airport with officials from Southwest, uh, Love Field, and uh, Dallas-Fort Worth International Airport trading best practices. We have a group of entrepreneurs that are coming uh, we also have a group coming in a few weeks that are going to be analyzing human trafficking and uh, how does Dallas uh, deal, with, deal with that. So we bring in about three to 400 visitors a year just under the auspices of, of that program. And that has nothing to do with the speaker series. That is no. just completely on its own. 
totally on its own. And that's one of the, you know, interesting things and I think somewhat challenging aspects of the World Affairs Council. Uh, it, it is holistic in the sense that all these different legs support support the body, but you certainly have some people who say, I support and want to be a member of the World Affairs Council because I want to hear Stephen Breyer, Associate Justice Stephen Breyer, who we had a few months ago. Or I'm only interested in your business programs, or I'm only in, want to do networking. But then you have other people who say, I want to be a volunteer with the International Visitor Leader Program and support the, uh, the be a citizen ambassador, if you wish. And then some people dive in and participate in everything. Are these endeavors what sets you apart from other councils around the nation? Because yeah, you said absolutely. that you guys are at the top. So for most of these that are just bringing in speaker series uh, type events, uh, this is what really propels you guys to being absolutely. the leaders. Absolutely. And you'll see the same thing with San Francisco, Houston, Philadelphia. Some of the larger councils have been able because of their financial strength, the fact that they're in cities that can get good corporate support mm. and that they're international cities, uh, they've been able, just like we have, to get into different different areas. So you said that you work with uh, the Houston Council as well, but you also said that they're they're strong on their own. Yeah, Houston's a very good council. Okay. And, you know, we are a loose federation. People will often say, including our members, and every so often a director will say, oh, we're the Dallas chapter. We're not. Every World Affairs Council is separate and autonomous. There's some strengths to that, and there are also some weaknesses. So yeah. the relationships among the councils is very often built just on the personal ties between the staffs. This organization has a long, a storied history. Uh, as I mentioned, I, I was shocked that it started in 1951. But when you talk about how large it is, 4,200 people at this point, that's massive. But you guys are doing a lot of different things. So when you say that you are 4,200 members strong— how does that kind of break down? That's a really good good, good question. And uh, I would say that there's, and, and these are estimates because I've, I've not thought of it exactly the way you've posed the question, but we probably have about two to 300 people who are volunteers and really interested in the International Visitor Program. With any question, the vast majority of members uh, support us because they want to come to the speaker programs mm. and that they get advance notice, they get a discount, they get invited to free programs. And, you know, there are different levels of membership. A student can be a member for $25. Regular membership is 100 and it goes on up to 2500 And so, you know, what makes someone join at a different level? A higher level, you're invited and have the opportunity to maybe have more intimate meetings with certain people. And, and that's, you know, my job is to convince you that what you're doing is supporting a, a, a cause, a mission that is, is worth your time and, and the extra support. I think it will help me to understand this organization more if we talk a little bit more about what you guys are doing with the city of Dallas, specifically with the uh, Office of Protocol. I think sure. you'd kind of mention that. Now, when we're talking about getting people just to meet, uh, on on its face, you could think, well, what, what kind of positive benefit, what kind of outcome will that will that create, these meetings? So am I looking at it the correct way? And, and, and maybe we'll just start with the with the city of Dallas and, and how you guys are making these connections with people all over the world. Well, you know, when you talk about the word protocol, some people think, oh, well, that's just really shaking hands and making sure that nobody play, plays the wrong national anthem. I think I think yeah. a lot of people have a have a, a complete lack of understanding yeah. of what that office is it, and what it really it, does. It, it, it's much more than that because, you know, as, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, in Dallas-Fort Worth, we have 36 career and honorary consuls. And let's take someone who, like, is a oh, perfect example is when the new career consul uh, general of Mexico came uh, now about a year ago, one of the first meetings that he had was with me. 
and members of my staff. We very quickly were able to find out what his interests were and to be sure that he met the right people. Um, that would facilitate him with, with his work. Um, same thing with the um, Consul General of Japan. Uh, you know, what's going on right now in with, with North Korea presents quite a quandary for everyone. And the Japanese Consul General, at the bequest of, uh, of, of his ambassador in Washington, uh, said, I would like to come and brief Dallas business leaders about Japanese um, strategy and Japanese Japan's position mm. uh, on, on the Korea situation. And then you, you look at it now, and Japan is such a good example because of Toyota being here. Just look at the number of companies that have moved to Dallas-Fort Worth, not just in Frisco and Plano, but all over the Metroplex because of Toyota. So you know, we are providing a forum for really international and global discussion uh, and, and a platform for high-level dignitaries. When you were establishing your prominence within the city of Dallas, did you foresee the boom in business that we were going to have? Is that kind of what helped propel you guys forward? Because we're talking, you mentioned that you came, you've been in for what, about 15 years? Yeah. And I would say that's, that's probably almost the epicenter of an explosion of growth in Dallas. I can say that um, I was confident that Dallas-Fort Worth was going to be a booming city, but I had no idea that it that it would be like the way it is today. So it's, it's gotten over, oh, yeah. over what you thought. Yeah. I mean, just, you know, I, when, I, when I started, there was maybe three or four career consuls and maybe only 20 or 15 honoraries. Uh, we did not have the re- relationship that we have with all of the diplomats in, in in Houston who, although they sleep in Houston, you know, my my job is to be sure that they see that Dallas-Fort Worth is the, the key key region that it is. And, you know, you're just seeing this uh, plethora of, of, of companies that are moving here. You know, the big names uh, get all the attention, like the Floors and the Toyotas. But there's so many other companies that are moving because of them, or they recognize that Texas is a great place to do business. And if you want to be in a major city, are you going to go to the energy capital of the world, Houston, or are you going to go to a city that has a better airport airport, and is certainly much more diverse in so far as what it can offer with, with its economy? So is the World Affairs Council Dallas-Fort Worth, is it the Dallas Office of Protocol, or do you have representatives in there? Uh, no, I would say we have a contract with the city of Dallas. Okay. So when a visitor comes, they are meeting with the protocol office, which is the city of Dallas. Okay. Yeah. So your job really in that is, like you were saying, you're not just rolling out a welcome mat. What you're doing is you're kind of gauging the temperature, let's say, of Dallas, looking at what people need, what people are looking for. Maybe you know that a business is looking to expand into Japan. We try to develop relationships. And, you know, often, and, and you'll appreciate this, when you look at Dallas-Fort Worth, you have the Dallas Regional Chamber, you have the Fort Worth Chamber, the um, uh, North Texas Commission, you have all these organizations. And we're one of the few organizations that's been able to work across the region our primary responsibility is not economic development. But when somebody calls and says, we're looking to relocate here or we want to meet, we can help facilitate meetings by making those calls to various chambers and being sure that we're sort of the, um, I don't want to say honest broker, but we, you know, we, we, we try to just be sure that the best face image of the region is presented. And when you're talking about the region, again, you're not just talking about the Dallas-Fort Worth area. You're talking about 
Houston, maybe even no, Austin. No, I, no, I'm, I'm, or, or I'm, you are I'm, just oh, yeah. talking about no, I'm, I'm talking about North Texas. I was going to say, because this no. area alone is, no, no, is probably I'm, way too much for, I mean, it's almost no, too I, much for I, anybody I, to handle. I, if I, no, I view Houston as competition when we're looking at that. Good. Okay. Yeah, all right. Absolutely. That's kind of what I was figuring. I know that, you know, if you're at a certain level of business in Dallas, you're working with the guys in Houston and you're everybody's kind of working together, keeping their eye on each other, but there is that natural competition. And yeah. I just want to make sure that we're sticking to no, the I'm, Dallas. No, I'm DFW centric. Okay. Yeah. Very good. Jim Falk is the president and CEO of the World Affairs Council, Dallas-Fort Worth, their website, dfwworld.org. You guys do a lot with students, a lot of education, a lot of those kind of projects here. Now, uh, you have something called the Global Young Leaders Program, and I think that's probably where we're going to start off with with your educational area. Yeah, we started this program now, like I said, probably about 12, 13 years ago, and we called it the International Education Program. And we, we tweaked it last year. We wanted to put more emphasis on student programs. Uh, We had student programs before, but we really wanted to just change it and realize that, you know, kids love competition and they want money. And um, I I also felt that there were so many ways that students could get involved in uh, becoming more active in international affairs. So a few years ago, we, 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 we created Junior WACS, Junior World Affairs Council, and they are chapters on now, I'm really happy to say, 67 high school campuses around the region have junior WACs. Wow. And so that's to say that there are truly hundreds of students that are involved. And they do everything from meeting weekly or some meet monthly. They all have service projects. Uh, we have a group of students that are heading down to Mexico in a few weeks because they raised a lot of money to, to build some wells in Mexico. Um, they raise money for various international charities. And those students who are with our Junior Wax uh, have opportunities to, to come to programs. Um, and we also take speakers out to their high school campuses. So just a few weeks ago, we had the ambassador of the United Arab Emirates, and he went to a high school campus and spoke to 100 students. Uh, and we do th- things like that all the time. In recognizing, too, that I think a lot of our high school students really don't appreciate and understand democracy and the value of the vote as much as they might, uh, we have uh, now have a program that's supported by a local foundation, the Hatton Sumner's Foundation, where we've had highly qualified speakers go to high school campuses to talk about democracy. So the head of the Bush, uh, George W. Bush Institute, who handles uh, some of the human rights issues and human freedom democracy project. Uh, She went to a a, a high school campus uh, now about three weeks ago and spoke to students about democracy. Uh, We had another uh, retired ambassador go to a school, uh, accompanied him, and uh, he spoke about his whole career and about how he became an ambassador because, you know, students um, don't know that, yeah, especially when you read the paper, you think, oh, you got to be rich to be an ambassador. Yeah, you know, in some countries, if you're going to try to be the ambassador to the U.K. Or, or France, it helps to be a friend of the president's. But over 65% of ambassadors uh, are just good, top-quality, hard-working people who passed the foreign service exam and had a career. And they've served in a number of countries, and by their hard work and probably— I realize a bit of, that. Yeah. 
So you- we try to give those students those opportunities. I mean, I'll never forget. It's been a few years um, when I was going to a high school, and it was a relatively uh, it was a high school in a disadvantaged area. And this kid says, "How do you become an ambassador?" And this was a career ambassador who outlined the process. Now, there's no doubt that that young man who asked that question went home and thought, I can do this. I can graduate. I can go to college. And by golly, I'm going to take the foreign service exam. So we provide that. We provide that window to the world. Now, something else I want to tell you about is we do this WorldQuest competition. We do it every February. It's usually at the University of Texas at Arlington. They're nice enough to let us use their facility facilities. And we'll have about 500 kids competing on questions about the world. The winning team from Plano, well, Plano ISD has won almost every year. Really? Then they go to national competition in Washington. They compete against some 45 to 50 other teams that are representing World Affairs Councils from across the country. The team from Plano ISD has won has won four out of the last seven years. At the national level? At the national level. Really? And I'm going to the national board meeting uh, tomorrow, and you know, I think they're all going to give me grief about it because uh, a few weeks ago they were saying, well, you know, we're going to have the competition this coming weekend. And I said with a little Texas swagger, why are you even having the competition? We're going to win. And then, <laughs> Bring you in know, your ringers. Yeah, and then sure enough, we win. But what that is is that Plano has positioned their World Affairs Council chapter in such a way that kids who might go to the chess club or something else, they are part of this World Affairs Council Junior WAC. They want to be on the team. They want to win a slot. They want to go to Washington and, and compete at the National Press Club and meet all these important people. And I, I just think it's really pretty cool that, that we've had the, had the winning team for, for all these years. Is a byproduct of having these kids meet people from outside the country is it a way for them to look at the situation that they have and kind of realize the opportunities that they have in this country? Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. You know, when you look at a film like uh, Cries from Syria or some of the other discussions that we've had, especially on on human rights, mm-hmm. uh, I, I think it's certain that our, our young our young people see that and they they realize that you know things aren't so bad so bad here. And I got to tell you, like when you have these students meet and have the chance to engage with 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 uh, foreign folks whether they're uh, human rights activists or lawyers or diplomats or journalists it it gives them a chance to really have a window in the world and you know, one of the things that I do when I moderate the the programs is I almost always give the student the first question and uh, the students will often write the question on an index card before and then I'll pick the the best question and then ask that student to stand up how important is it to actually have these young people? I mean, maybe anybody, because, you know, the, the kind of speaker series that you guys do, it, it appeals to everyone. It's not just students, adults alike. But how important is it to actually have someone in person to talk with? Because you yeah. could probably YouTube a lot of these people and see an, an old interview or an old discussion that they had and still get information from them. But there is a difference. So how important is that? Because I think a lot of people overlook that. Oh, I think you're absolutely right. And, of course, that's one of the things that you look at. You know, is it you know, when you're doing your SWAT strength and all, is, is, do we have a, a challenge that people can – you know, get, stay home. Well, like here, here, we're having this speaker that we're going to talk about in a little bit, Manal al-Sharif. Well, she's given a TED Talk. So you could just watch her TED Talk. But to meet her and be able to ask questions and really judge the person, that gives you a, a different view. Uh, and um, 
especially when you're talking to, say, a politician. We, we this past year, or almost started it two years ago, we, we tried to get every presidential candidate to come. Mm. And, you know, whether it was Cruz, Senator Cruz or, or Carson or we, we didn't get Trump, um, or, uh, you know, you, you, you would see them on TV all the time. But to be able to see how they acted with, with you or with others and how they responded to questions. Uh, we had Governor Rick Perry, and you could just tell he wasn't, frankly, comfortable talking about international issues. That, I wanted to ask about that, like seeing these people uh, off the screen and in person, the impressions and ideas that you get from them, they're, they're so different. And, and do you feel that a lot of the people that you have in are as open as you would like them to be when you are taking questions? Because this is – it's not just a speech they're giving. Well, it's interactive. It's – you know, let me let me tell you what we did um, – God, now it's almost exactly two years ago because it was right before Memorial Day. Everybody now knows what the Russian ambassador looks like to the United States, (laughs) Kislyak. Yes. We had him two years ago. Now, I got to tell you that I didn't like him. From the minute he walked in, he was just like this big – he made me feel uncomfortable. Okay. And you could just – and he was just almost, you know, sort of conspiratorial and – but – if you asked me who was one of the most accomplished diplomats I've ever met, he'd be at the top of my list. So what's and, the difference there, though, then? Well, I admired him because of his ability to do his job. I didn't like the message he delivered, nor did I necessarily like the way he did it. But you had to recognize that he was doing a very good job as a representative of Russia. Mm. And clearly, our diplomats, too, are often placed in that type of position. And so... <clears throat> I'll, I'll, you know, getting back to Kislyak, I'll, I'll give you an example why I said he was uh, good at, at his job. So that was really at a critical point with Russia's involvement with Ukraine. So we had a representative of Ukrainian organization in the audience. And she stands up to ask a question. And he looks at her and he goes, I don't remember her first name, but he looks at her and he goes, I recognize your dress. You're Ukrainian, aren't you? You know, I have family in Ukraine. My heart goes out to you. That Before she even asked the question? Yep. So you see something like that, and you go, yeah. And, you know, people often ask me who have been my favorite speakers, and and I got to tell you, I mean, we go through quite a vetting process, and we, we don't disappoint our members very often. And whether or not I or our members agree with something or the position that they take, most of these people who get to the level to come to the World Affairs Council uh, are, are so accomplished and, and highly qualified. And then we also just try to find things that people don't know about. And that's where our credibility as an organization comes into play. So uh, you know, we can find uh, an author that may not be well known and then talk about the issue and people will come. Uh, Helene Cooper is a real good example. And if people read the New York Times, they know Helene Cooper. Uh, she's uh, originally from Liberia, a graduate of UNC, and has covered for the New York Times, uh, the White House, the Department of State, and now the Pentagon. Well, I read her book and was really moved by what um, uh, President Sirleaf did in Liberia and the whole story about how this woman became president. And so I was able to communicate that to our members, and we had a very large audience. And so people go, that's why I'm a member of the World Affairs Council. 
I think it's an interesting example. You know, if we were to talk about Liberia, I would probably only be able to come up with a bunch of the negatives that I know about it because that's a lot of what you hear about it. So you yeah. guys are bringing in people that are, are making positive changes, just people that are under the radar because in a place like that, you, you hear a lot of the bad. But or you don't also hear being very objective. Good. I mean, Helene Cooper was very frank about, although she has a lot of admiration for the president, uh, she talked about the corruption that's come from her family and, and uh, also throughout the country and some of the mistakes that were, were made um, um, with it at first with what was happening with Ebola. Mm. So I think all of that is, is valuable. And, you know, one of the things we try to do, too, is to uh, not just have programs on ISIS in the Middle East, but to have uh, programs that, that cover different parts of the world. So like in uh, and, and, and history. So we just did this program with an author, um, um, Garrett Graff, and uh, he wrote a book um, that focuses on doomsday scenario. Now, here's a title that will get you. I think what we said was uh, how the government will survive while you don't. And uh, <laughs> the elevator pitch yeah, right yeah, there, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, what what he did is he's, he's talked about how we had all this sort of designated survivor and continuity of government how it was really created around nuclear weapons, because before then you didn't have the nuclear football. But the whole premise was, as he outlined, was that the president always had to be in a position where he could communicate with other military, with the, his military as commander in chief to be sure that we had the ability to launch nuclear weapons as needed. So you have this command basis all over the United States, including in Denton, Texas, as an important area. So, you know, we, we try to find tidbits like that that people will find of, of interest that you might not pick up that book. In addition to your duties at the World Affairs Council, you also are, are doing a little bit of this business as I, well. I, I am, and I really enjoy it. Uh, we have what's called Global IQ Minute with Jim Falk. And so one of the things I try to do in my podcast, try to make it 10 minutes long. Sometimes I go a bit longer. When I had Stephen Breyer, I thought, okay, if Justice Breyer wants to keep talking, I'm not going to say that's, that's enough, sir. That's smart. So uh, you can listen to it on iTunes or just go to our website, Global IQ Minute. And uh, I interview almost everybody that comes and try to do it at least once a week to have a program up there and dig into questions that we might not get to in the audience. And you get just a, a great view. And if you can't come to an event, uh, you'll, you'll get a good, a good sampling of what the program is about. Let's talk about an event you do have coming up. It's coming up very soon on June 20th. You are having one uh, here at the CBS Radio Tower. Yeah, we started a summer series. It's our inaugural summer series here with KRLD. So we, we are excited to have that, uh, and you'll be able to find information about that on the web on our website, cbsdfw.com, yeah. and, of course, over at yours at dfwworld.org. Uh, who, do who do you have coming in, and, and what, is, what is the topic? Well, well, this is a really good example. This is a, a, a woman named Manal Al-Sharif. Uh, she's Saudi. Uh, and what you know, I think is interesting is you always sort of think if, – if you ask someone about what do they think of Saudi Arabia, their first thing would probably say, oh, wealth and Arab princess. Well, Saudi Arabia is very different than the UAE and some of the other Gulf states because uh, they have a very large indigenous population and they have a lot of poverty. So Manal al-Sharif was born to a poor family. And by pure grit and also the determination of her mother, who wanted to be sure that she had a better life and had education, uh, to make a long story short, Manal went to university and uh, ended up working for Aramco, the big Saudi uh, oil company, 
and worked in IT and security. And at one point in her life, she became a fundamentalist, not a terrorist, but a fundamentalist, to the point that her brother had a lot of American rock songs on his uh, uh, CDs and stuff. She went in there and taped over them with religious verses. Can you imagine? <laughs> but as, her, as she traveled around the world under the auspices of Ramco, she started seeing that there was a different way to live. And she really threw off the veil. Mm. Moreover, then she said, why can't Saudi women drive? And, you know, frankly, I thought there was a law in Saudi Arabia that they couldn't drive. It's not a law. It's a cultural taboo, which has been interpreted by some as a law. So she got in her car with her brother and jumped in the car and drove. The truth is she did get arrested and she was put in prison. I, th- I think I saw that. That happened. Did it happen a couple of years yeah, ago? Yeah, it happened a couple of years ago. I think I saw that on, on the Internet. Oh, yeah. It was a huge story. Yeah. Well, uh, in 2000, I think it was 2012, she won the Vaclav Havel uh, Award for uh, Civic Engagement or something like that. And then she was named by Time Magazine as one of the 100 most inf- influential people that year. And so I read the book Saturday. Um, instead of my usual Saturday morning bike ride, it was pouring down rain, if you remember. It so was. I, I sat on the sofa and read this book. It's an understatement, but yes. <laughs> and uh, I, I couldn't put it down, so I walked into the office on Monday, and I said, we have to figure out a way to get more people to know about this program and meet her. And I'm so glad we have this opportunity because um, what we're doing is we're saying anybody under 18 should come for free. Because, yeah, children can drive here, people can drive here, but there are other issues. And I just think for our audience, adults and youth, to meet someone like Manal al-Sharif, to see her determination, to hear the good, the bad, and the ugly of her story, will be meaningful. So that is, as you said, June 20th. Uh, it's, um, I, th- I think we priced it at only $10 and free for, for people under 18, and it's going to be right here at the KRLD Tower. What time is that going to happen? Uh, 7 o'clock. Details on that are over at cbsdfw.com. You can also find more information on the World Affairs Council website, which is dfwworld.org. I, we should have booked more time, but unfortunately— Well, maybe we I can are, come back someday. I would absolutely love it if you would come back because there's still a lot that we didn't even touch uh, about this organization. Uh, but I do thank you for your time. Jim Falk is the president and CEO of the World Affairs Council of Dallas and Fort Worth. Once again, their website, dfwworld.org. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Have a great day, everybody. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See t